Welcome to another edition of the Long Gospel Devotional. My name is Eric Sorensen. I'm a pastor here at Hillside Church in Roxbury, New Jersey, as well as a contributor to 1517 in numerous ways. Good to be back here with you again as we take some time to look at the scriptures, examining those scriptures to find where God's two words are and what they have to say to us. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at the, once again, we've been doing this well, a number of weeks now, at the upcoming epistle text from the series of lectionary texts for this upcoming Sunday. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and get right to it. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, uh, a passage in which, well, basically, we're, we're confronted with a very powerful prayer. It's a prayer of the Apostle Paul on behalf of the church. And so we're going to be doing a bit of an examination of what, what kind of prayer one might offer as they come to the Lord on behalf of the church. Uh, of course, many of you are probably familiar with this picture. I would, I would wager a fair guess that there's a number of people that probably even have this picture in their home. Interesting thing about it, even though I'm using it as an illustration for prayer, supposedly it actually doesn't depict a man in prayer, but that's a story for another time. So what is it? What kinds of things might we pray for if we're thinking about praying for other Christians or praying for the church? Well, of course, we, we might be prone to praying for people's health. That's a very common prayer. Uh, we might be prone to praying for people's, uh, if not getting wealthy, at least that they'd have their needs provided for. So we might not pray that everybody has as much money as Scrooge McDuck, but nevertheless, it's a, it's a frequent prayer that we would ask for people to have what they need. And yes, even maybe a little more so. And then of course, we uh, oftentimes pray for people's families that, you know, they would be okay and that they would be healthy and that they would be a strong family. And all those things are, are good. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with praying for those kinds of things for people. But, but what I want to focus on in the time we have is, well, the power of praying for something much more profoundly simple. And, and I, think, I think this is important because sometimes we overcomplicate things or we think that we, um, that we have to sort of mention every little need. And that's fine. Again, it's fine to pray for all sorts of things. God does not forbid us from asking him for anything. He's a father that, that enjoys having us go to his throne of grace. But as I think about what we have before us today, I'm reminded of the power of keeping it simple. So let's begin. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 reads, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, Let that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, the first thing that comes up to me as I think about this prayer is who it is Paul addresses. Who, who are we coming to? Well, if you look closely, if you notice through the bolden letters, we're coming to all three persons of the Trinity. The roles of the Trinity in this prayer are, well, interesting. First of all, you have the Father presented as the creator and the source, the one that Paul addresses. Then you have the spirit as one who is delivering the goods. In this case, the power, Paul says, delivering the goods to his people. And what is ultimately the goods? Well, it is the son, the person of Christ being delivered 
to us because we need Christ to dwell in us. The word there for dwell is quite literally settle in us, amongst us, be with us. Indeed, we address God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they would all do their work so that we might get what we need. But Paul's not done. He says that the instrument through which we receive such goods is faith. That's what he mentions at the end of verse 17, that it is through faith that we receive these things. So what is faith? Well, it's not George Michael singing and dancing in the famous video from way back in the day. No, faith, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Or to define it the way Martin Luther does, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Boom, what a quote. I've used it many times, and indeed, it is a profound way of thinking about faith. So faith is this instrumentation, again, a gift of God, something that he grants to us, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 clearly tells us. And as a matter of fact, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. It's a gift, and yet the faith is the gift that we need in order to access all the things that we are praying for or that, that are prayed for us in this case. And yet Paul gets even more specific. It's not just that he wants us to have power. That is mentioned here, but it's power to do something in specific. Look at what he says. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, the interesting thing here about this whole prayer is Paul is acknowledging a deficiency. Paul is acknowledging that part of our ongoing problem in this life is that we truly don't comprehend the love of God. It is just a fact that we don't get it. We don't see it for all it is. But first of all, he says, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. That's what I want to see. Now, what is love? Well, that also is defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And yes, I'm going to read it, even though we're not at a wedding, because in fact, this passage was not only written and indeed wasn't written for weddings at all. It's fine to use it there, but no, it's separate. How does Paul define love? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And since 1 John tells us God is love and Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we could simply substitute the word love here for Jesus, and it would be quite appropriate. That's what Paul wants us to be rooted and grounded in. That's what he prays for the church. But he's not done. He's acknowledging that our God is, in fact, too small, that, in fact, what the law shows us and reveals to us is that we think 
too lightly about God. We don't see him for all that he is. We don't see how great and grand his love is. Again, Paul prays that we may have strength. It's something we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God? Now, how deep is this love? Well, let me quote to you a couple of uh, uh, writings that really accentuate how grand God's love is. First of all, a classic hymn by the title, The Love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his own son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, <clears throat> excuse me, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Yes, it is that grand. It is that grand. And, and how do we know that? Well, C.S. Lewis tells us how deep this love is. He says, God, who needs nothing, lo loves into existence holy superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates the universe already foreseeing the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the mesial nerves. If I may dare, Lewis says, the biological image, God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. Of all the things that Paul could pray for his church, of all the things that he wants the church to grow in, that he wants them to have the strength and power to comprehend, it is to grow deeper and deeper and deeper in the knowledge of the love of God. Folks, it is just true to the degree that we see how deeply loved we are, especially by looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. It can't help but manifest itself in our real lives and overflow in love for one another. And yes, even love for one's enemies as we see displayed at the cross. There's a method to Paul's madness. Paul wants us to understand how deeply Deeply we are loved because then we are that much more assured of our standing with God in Christ. How deep is his love? He continues, verse 19, to know the love of Christ. That's what he wants us to know. That surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond even what we can know. That we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Yes, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Who else is described as being uh, as having all the fullness of God? Well, Colossians tells us Jesus Christ himself. God's plan is that as we dwell on the love of God, as the Spirit delivers this news again and again and again to us through the preached word, through the power of the Spirit, that we would indeed grow in love towards each other, being filled to the brim with God, just like Christ, that we would indeed uh, that we would indeed be reformed by such love. 
And then Paul concludes with the power of the God who loves. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Again, our problem, our problem, the law reveals it, is our God is too small. We come to him with tiny things. And indeed, what his love shows us is that he is way more generous than we could ever possibly fathom. He is way more loving than any of us could naturally assume. And finally, because he has all the power, he receives all the glory. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. So folks, as we meditate on what Paul has decided to pray for us and pray for his church, well, may we be people that indeed pray for others around us to more fully comprehend the love of God displayed for us in Christ Jesus at the cross. May we be people that indeed grow in that knowledge ourselves because that is the fuel. That is the power, folks. The power comes from knowing just how deeply loved we are. In spite of our sin, in spite of our struggles, the proclamation from the cross of Christ is it is finished and you are forgiven. Indeed, God so loved the world. It was his love that motivated it that he sent his son. May we marinate in that each and every day. God's richest blessings to you. Great to be here with you again today. I hope you have a great rest of the week and we'll look forward to seeing you next Tuesday.